Hello, welcome to Rule Number Three, the podcast committed to an asshole-free workplace. I'm your host, Eric Harkins, author of Great Leaders Make Sure Monday Morning Doesn't Suck, and I'm excited to bring back a podcast under the new name, Rule Number Three, where each episode I'm going to be talking with leaders who understand what it really takes to create a culture high performers want to be a part of and who are passionate about making sure Monday morning doesn't suck. And if you don't know my guest as well as I do, you're in for a treat today. So Howie Milstein, welcome to the podcast. Couldn't be happier and more excited to have you help me kick off my new podcast. I've known Howie for about 10 years. I have no doubt we're going to have a lot of fun today. You can't be happier than I am because I am so looking forward to irritating and annoying your audience today. I love it. Love I need, it. Yes. <laughs> so for people who don't know you, let me give a little bit of your background. It's an impressive career. It's a really cool story. I want you to fill in some blanks for us here. But, you know, Howie has held a lot of different roles in corporate America, started in the sales area, worked at a few different companies. You became a COO. You became a president. You became a CEO. Then in 2014, you launched the Institute to Stop Taking Yourself So Seriously. We met shortly after that. And one of my favorite things that you said in our first meeting is you said, listen, I have the domain www.don'tbeafuckingdick.com. And I knew we were going to be lifelong best friends. So uh, that's uh, you had me at uh, don't. So, but now most recently you are a chair for Vistage Worldwide, and I know you're having a lot of fun helping leaders accelerate their business. And as I like to say, making sure Monday morning doesn't suck. So welcome to rule number three. I'm really appreciate you being on. Thrilled to be here, Eric. And yes, we have met many times. That's right. So this is the first time we've met via Zoom. So it you might know, be. you look a little taller on Zoom. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting on a pillow. So. Yes, I- <laughs> For people that don't know Howie, if you're not from Minnesota, uh, very well connected, you should get to know him. If you're looking for a coach and a leader who can help you accelerate your business, you'll want to reach out to Howie following this. But let's start. I don't know where we start. We have so much to unpack. This is an unscripted podcast. I want to pretend like we're sitting at your favorite coffee shop, just telling some stories. But I think you have a lot of wisdom to share. I think you and I are very passionate about the same thing. We have a very similar message. And Howie is also the author of a book titled, Don't Be a Fucking Dick. And so maybe we start with that. I mean, what was the inspiration? I know it was kind of your your life's work, but what led you to uh, write the book? And I give you credit for having the courage to put it out there with a title like that. Well, well, like you, you know, we have epiphanies at certain points in our lives, you know, and there came a time when I had enough experience working with other people either being led by them or observing how they led. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, it's not that difficult. This is not that complicated. Right. You know, we are so overcomplicating things. You know, the yep. eight different, the, the list of the top seven qualities of leaders or the top three or the top 20, you know, it's, we're overcomplicating. And I thought, you know, if you were just not a, a well, I can use your word, asshole. <laughs> right. You know, things would be so much better. But I used, yeah. you know, the fucking dick because that's what the people say around the water cooler. Yeah. I just can think of the numbers of times I've thought and I've seen something like, God, what an FD, right? right. So right. when I got done with what I, what looked like a regular job, you know, yeah. spent like 26 years in medical device and yeah. played all those roles. I outgrew that industry. I mean, it really didn't have a place for me at a certain point. And I thought, 
you know, what am I going to do? So I start this coaching and consulting and writing business and speaking. And that's where the Institute came from. And then again, just took all my learnings and I thought, you know, let's just build a story around what is the dick and right. how not to be one. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, when I speak or, you know, if you've read my book, I talk about, I don't really know what the definition of an asshole is, but I know who they are in every company I've ever worked in. And, yeah. you know, when we speak to people, you can just see it on their face. As soon as they hear, hear that word, yours or mine, somebody pops into their mind. Right. And, you know, it's when the Supreme Court had to sort of try to define what pornography was. And I can't remember who said it. he goes, I can't really define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you do. And I tell a couple of stories of just real things that I've seen leaders do that people are like, that didn't really happen. I said, Oh, yeah, it really happens because I was there and I saw it. And, you know, one of the things you talk about and on your website, you have a little clip of one of your speaking engagements. And, you know, what you're talking about is the fact that in the last 20 years, and it's probably even longer than that, we really haven't moved the needle much on employee engagement. And, you know, I had somebody this last week, you know, say, wow, the title of your book, you know, great leaders make sure Monday morning doesn't suck. You could have written that 30 years ago. And I bet you'd be able to write it 30 years from now. And that's what I'd love to start with. Like, there is no answer to this question, Howie, but what do we need to do to stop talking about this? Right? I mean, Eric, our work is never done. (laughs) It's good, I guess, but at least it gives us something to complain about, you know, (laughs) into, you know, (laughs) till our dying day, because Although I do have hope in the younger generations, yeah. which, you know, for you and me now is almost every generation. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Because I think that they don't have the tolerance yeah. for bad bosses yeah. like we thought we had to have. I love that you said that. You know, I've told a couple of people, you know, my daughter just graduated from college last year. She's starting her career. My son's in college. And I've said, I'm excited that I know neither of my kids will put up with half of what I thought I had to put up with. And I don't know that either of us in the moment thought we had any other choice. But, you know, if some of the early leaders I had in my career treat either of my kids the way that I was treated, I know for sure they won't put up with it. So I agree with you. I think we're making some progress. Yeah. And so here's, by the way, disclaimer. What might sound like wisdom is often me just making stuff up. So <laughs> let's just see how it goes here. Perfect. So, but here's another good thing that's happened. Yeah. Or I think that's happening. You know, there's been so many paradigms and conventions of how we hire people and what we look for and what we screen for. Yeah. And I think gone are the days where you had to have a certain tenure on your resume in order to be considered a viable candidate. Yeah. People are moving around all the time and yeah. 12 months is actually pretty good. Right. So we stuck around because you had to. You just can't, you couldn't look like you were moving around. So you just suffered through the bad situation. Right. To get to that magical time where somebody wasn't going to ask you that question in an interview, you know, what happened? You were only there for two years. Right. right? I think that's gone. I think that that's going to help serve this issue. People just leave bad bosses without the ramifications that we might have felt. Yeah. And I think, you know, I do not believe that we just experienced the great resignation. I don't believe there's this thing called quiet quitting. I believe, like I think you do, that people just no longer are going to tolerate, as I like to say, assholes or bad leaders, because I do believe the only differentiator you have right now in a company is who you allow to be a leader, right? Mm -hmm. And one of your topics that I really 
love talking about is that, you know, change is not possible without discomfort. And I want to have you expand on that. You know, when I talk about it, I talk about the fact that, listen, it's not that hard to have a place where Monday morning doesn't suck. It's not that hard to create a culture high performers want to be a part of. You just have to be willing to make some hard decisions. And so I'd love to hear kind of your definition when you talk about this change is not possible without discomfort. You know, tell us what you mean by that. Because change entails challenging the status quo, challenging anything that you become accustomed to, and change means getting out of the comfort zone that you've been in. You know, the front, you know, the dedication in my book is, you know, a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever happens there, basically, right? And by the way, it's not just comfort at work, it's comfort with anything. So discomfort you're trying to change a habit. Yeah. You know, you have to look yeah. at yourself very right. closely. Right. You know, sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need people around you to ask really annoying questions to help you get to the matter, to right. uncover blind spots, whatever that is, and to and to face whatever things that you have or you are that are dysfunctional in your life. Yeah. You know, it's not fun. Right. But you do get better at it over time. So yeah. I think some people are really good at becoming uncomfortable. Some yeah. people provoke themselves into discomfort. Yeah. A lot of people need somebody else or a situation to provoke them into discomfort, but it's the self-provokers that they get it. They say, yeah. all right, now I'm just going to go and try something that I don't know how to do. Right. And there's plenty of that stuff out there. Yeah. You know, I'm still trying to figure out golf after 40 years. <laughs> and as a leader, I think there's something about being genuine or humble enough, whatever the right word is, to admit when you don't know or admit when you're wrong or, hey, I tried it and I failed. And I think we lost that over the years. You know, people feel like they have to be the subject matter expert because they have a V or an S or a C in their title. And I love to talk about the fact, hey, I actually look at it different. In fact, I think some of the best leaders out there, senior most leaders, are most effective when they're not the subject matter expert. I don't know if you have a angle well, you know, or a thought on that. So. You're almost touching on like imposter syndrome, you know, because, and I went through this when I was first named the boss over another person. Yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, I got to look like I know what I'm talking about. And I felt that pressure. Yeah. But I got over it quickly, thankfully. Some people yeah. just don't ever get over it. But yeah. this is this imposter syndrome. You know, where people think, God, I just don't know something. I got to like just really fake it and right. pretend like I don't. But in fact, imposter syndrome is uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's a really good, if you can recognize that you have imposter syndrome, you know where your gaps are right. and you can do something to fill those gaps. Yeah. It's when you think you know it and don't try figuring it out. And now the whole system breaks down. Right. You know? So, yeah. So uh, talk a little bit about your career. I mean, you started in sales. Then you got into, you know, leadership roles and you held the biggest jobs you can hold, COO, president, CEO. And it was a master of the universe. Come on. There's still, there, there was still. <laughs> I mean, you know, you still have time, but yeah. you checked a lot of big boxes. And I'm going to guess that, you know, if you look back and think about why me, why did I get that job and then become this is because you weren't the dick, I mean, to use your words. But, you know, what else do you think really drove that? I mean, obviously, there's an aspiration and a drive and a motivation to hold that role. But did you feel like, were you surprised when you got those roles? Or did you feel like you were really ready for them? 
I didn't feel like I was ready for anything I ever got into. Yeah. Right. And I always felt like, don't feel like if you're that ready to do something new, right. You're not self provoking enough. You're not growing. Yeah. You know, and I spent in my career, don't forget. I also, you know, spent some time with you at navigate forward and, and started my own practice, launchpad career coaching. Yep. And I changed my philosophies over time. And I'm thinking, you know, Go do something you're really not good at doing. And yeah. by the way, hire people who aren't really good at what they're doing or what you need them to do. Right. Let them grow into the position. And yeah. now that's the sense of intrinsic motivation that they'll have to just develop because this is growth. This is all about self-determination theory. It's about mastery. It's about challenge, right. you know? So those are the best people. You take somebody who's got a place somewhere to aspire to. Right. They're all pumped up. Yeah. You take someone who's been doing it forever. They're just, you know, again, there's no growth. It's part of the human condition is that I think we do continue to want to grow and change and figure yeah. out new things. So right. whenever I got a new role, you know, I embraced the fact that I didn't know shit. Yeah. You know, and the more that I didn't know the, and admitted to, yeah, the better it was. I was just going to say, and I bet you told people that, and they probably respected you for it, right? Because you didn't yeah. come in thinking you had all the answers. I mean, I can actually envision that you probably walked in and said, hey, I'm really excited to be the president, but I don't really know shit about what we're doing. And I think the average person is going to respond so much better to that than I have all the answers and I'm the smartest person in the room. You know, vulnerability. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it for many years. I continue to seeing that as something that is more and more important to embrace. Right. You know, just be super authentic. Yeah. Know what you don't know. Be right. public with it. People yeah. don't care. They're not going to judge you. Right. It, it endears people to you. And that's what you want as a leader. It's yeah. not that you have to know everything. Right. It's that you have to endear it's, them to as a normal human, you know, imperfect human being. Yeah. You know, be real, be genuine. Every Monday, I put out a post on LinkedIn that has some kind of a leadership-focused message. And, you know, Mondays this week was titles don't change personalities. And I talk about how I never understood why people feel like they need to be somebody different because now they have a C or a, an S or a B in front of their title. You know, it's okay to still high-five people. <laughs> it's okay to tell that joke. It's okay to have fun at work. It's okay to make sure Monday morning doesn't suck. But why do you think so many leaders just don't embrace just being who you are, right? I make mistakes. I don't have all the answers. That's yeah. a great question. I should ask you that. You know the answer. I hate it when you ask me questions you already know the answer to. I don't know the answer. Uh, but I, um, I do see such a... Yeah. It's paradigmatic, right? Yeah. right? You had an experience. Right. Was it with your, like the person who trained you in it? Very first, yeah. I mean... You I, know, you got to be a jerk. And right. if you're not, people won't respect you. Right. right. I had someone tell me that too. When yeah. I went from this is my first role going from a salesperson to a manager. And this was in the orthopedic business. And the way orthopedics is set up is all the, the reps, all the sales side were independent. So we were independent contractors. So I worked for a guy who's known as a distributor and basically is a contract sales manager for a territory. Yeah. He decides to retire after I've been around for about two years. And they offer me the distributorship. And his parting, and he was a really, call it an interesting guy, you know. He <laughs> yeah. was the kind of guy that your customers didn't want you to bring around because he was a little bit creepy. Okay. I liked him. He was smart. 
Yeah. But he also drove me crazy. But his advice to me was don't get too close to your people. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Which didn't resonate with me. Right. And maybe I tried playing the aloof card for a while, but it wasn't more than weeks, let alone months. I thought this isn't me. You know, if I can't make this work, being I ain't doing this. Life is too short. Right. Um, so I figured that early on, but that is sort of like, listen, your boss probably had that told to them somewhere. So right. again, this is all conventional. We call it yeah. conventional wisdom, but it's conventional baloney is what it is. Right. And that's my next book, by the way. <laughs> conventional baloney? It's challenging all the conventional baloney out there around the realm of work and business. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be destroying the resume, Eric. I love it. Yeah. And then can we destroy the annual review, right? Oh, my God. I've had this dream that someday we're going to live in a world (laughs) where there's no annual reviews because we don't need them. There's no performance improvement plans because we don't need them because we have leaders that have the, (laughs) the courage to just sit down and have honest conversations with people. And maybe that's our next topic that I want to talk about. You know, I was just talking with somebody. It was one of my posts a few weeks ago that, listen, nobody likes having tough conversations. So people don't wake up. Yeah, I get to go fire someone today. I talk about it in the book. I, I never went home and high-fived my wife after I fired someone. Then I joke. I said, well, maybe once or twice. But typically, no. And the difference in my mind between a great leader and somebody who's not a great leader is nobody likes having the tough conversation, but great leaders don't avoid it. Right. And so I'd love to just get your thoughts on, you know, what is it about that person that can have that tough conversation? And I think the most frustrating thing for high performers in so many companies is that they're watching the leader tolerate poor performance, avoid having tough conversations. And and then they wonder why, you know, they lack engagement and they have high turnover. So. Mm-hmm. And, so and I, you- I mean, in your coaching, I guess the question is, is there a a skill set or something that you see in the leaders who are comfortable doing that or yeah. maybe not avoiding it versus the ones who are. So I think the best people to fire people are those who have been fired themselves because <laughs> yeah. you really know what it feels like. Right. So as long as you can be empathic, yeah, you approach it with the sensitivity that, Hey, this is not going to be fun for the other person. Yeah. Acknowledge, even if it's hard for you, just even right. acknowledging that it's hard for you. Yeah. Sorry, there's some squeaking. I think people are moving furniture outside their patio. <laughs> I, I can't metal, hear it. So metal on concrete. Okay, sorry. <laughs> That's um, just Howie's way of rubbing it in. He has no. It's in a, I'm just getting cast. goosebumps because it's like nails on a chalkboard here. No. Uh, so it's just being a human being, knowing yeah. that this is not just business. This is personal. Right. right. You know, and I hate that term because yeah. whenever you say it's just business, all you're doing is giving yourself an excuse for having just screwed somebody. Yeah. But it's personal. And if yeah. you can just approach it personally with sensitivity. So a couple of years ago, the synagogue that I'm in a congregation at, the rabbi calls me. Rabbi is one of the greatest people on the planet. I mean, yeah. and I don't like services. I don't even, you know, for me, I can't even stand his services. I'd rather <laughs> sit in the parking lot if I have to go to services and listen to Steely Dan music. <clears throat> But we've had lunches a number of times and yeah. he's just the greatest guy, right? Yep. Super warm, one-on-one or with families, nobody better. Yeah. But he called me and he said, Howie, you know, somebody suggested I call you because we're going to have to let some people go because of 
COVID. We held on him as long as we could. And he goes, what should I do? Hmm. And I said to him, I'll use his first name, or should I not? I'll say his name. I'll (laughs) say his name because it's complimentary of him. I said, Harold, all you have to do is be Harold. Hmm. That's all you have to do. Right. I mean, nobody knows how people feel like you do. Right. Just know how they're feeling and just be super aware that this is hard for both of you. And that's all I told him. Just be yourself. Right. Because naturally he had it all down. Yeah. And I think that's the theme of all of your work. And I try to have it be a theme of mine is, you know, it just be real, be genuine. And I think I, you know, I was very lucky. I, I talk about that first experience and, you know, I was really lucky because if you happen to be from Minnesota or you're a historian, you know, I was my first store I worked at for Target right out of college was Roseville, Minnesota, which is T1, the first Target ever built. And, you know, I'm old enough that when I had my first day there, I had a department manager who had been there since grand opening, like 35 some years. And within five minutes of meeting her, she said, you're the new college kid. And I said, yeah, I'm the new executive team leader. She said, great. She said, let me tell you how this is going to go. She said, I don't work for you. You work for me. And if you make my job easier, I'll make your job easier. If you don't make my job easier, you're not going to last at Target. And I was like, well, it's really nice to meet you. And I don't think I appreciated it in the moment. And it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because she was right. But for some reason, we still have so much work to do to get other leaders to understand that. So you're not that important, right? And one of the things you talk about is you're not that big of a deal. And I love it when you say that. Listen, you're just, you're not that big of a deal. And I think we should have a badge of honor that says not that big of a deal. (laughs) And and the higher your level, the less of a big deal you become, in my opinion. Well, because the higher the level, you realize the the less you know. It's like anything academic. The more you get on into things, the more you know you don't know. Yeah. So let's not pretend like we know. Yeah. You had touched on something, though, that I think has been sort of a a buzz phrase or a buzz term over, you know, over the last couple of years. And that's about either authenticity or being genuine. Yeah. I don't know if that's really true. If somebody, and by the way, I don't know if assholes are made or assholes are born or if (laughs) leaders are made, leaders are born. You suggest they're born. The leaders are born. Yeah. But you don't say whether assholes are born. Although you do say once an asshole, always an asshole. We are who we are. So. Do we want assholes to be authentic and genuine? It's hmm. a great question. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things people challenge me on most. Like, so are you telling me you don't think people can change? I said, yes, I think people can change. You don't think people can take coaching and feedback? And I said, I think they can. But if you walked past the receptionist for three years because he or she wasn't important enough, and then you got feedback that you don't build relationships in the organization, and all of a sudden you stop and talk to the receptionist, they'll never give you the credibility of having that be genuine and authentic. Can you go somewhere else and show up different? Maybe. But if you were the type of person that would walk past the receptionist for three years and only engage because you're told you have to, that's where my definition of, you know, we are who we are. And yes, we can change some things, but at the core, we are who we are. And you're either the type of person that's going to say hi because you do value what they do or you're not because, you know, they're not important enough. So let's talk about this change thing. So I'm playing yeah. the host right now. This is my fantasy. Awesome. Podcast host. <laughs> it's all you. Right. 
Glad to be so, on your show, Howie. What do you want to know? <laughs> Happy to have you, Eric. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Eric Harkins, awesome. total stud. Oh, whatever. Okay. GKG <laughs> Consulting. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so this capacity to change. Yeah. If leaders are born leaders, tell me what leadership development is. That's a great question. I think if I look at the best leaders that I worked with, worked for, you know, I think we learn as much from the bad leaders that we had a chance to work for or with as, as we did the good ones. You learn from everyone, right? But I think as you evolve and you grow in your career and in your age, you know what mistakes to avoid. You look back and say, hey, that worked really well. I can, I can replicate it or it didn't. And I think you can navigate. I also think you evolve to understand as you get further into your career that, you know, you really aren't that big of a deal. And so I think leadership development is truly understanding. And I'm going to steal from dozens of others who've said something similar to this, that, you know, your job as a leader is really to make the people who work for you, you know, better at whatever they're doing. And when you realize it's not about you and where you're going, it's what you can leave. And if you want to call that your legacy or your mark, are you more proud of the 15 people who got promoted under you? Or are you more proud of becoming the president, COO, whatever your title might be, and nobody got promoted under you? So that's sort of top of my head. Uh, it's a beautiful of. perspective. Yeah. And I would say you're probably right, but that's just the two of us. Yeah. Just be happy I'm here confirming your own bias. <laughs> Isn't this fun? So then if that's the case, what is the quality of that person? How do you identify metrics yeah. to measure that person's capacity to do that, yeah. to make them a leader? As opposed yeah. to saying it's the number one salesperson or the top engineer or the smartest right. person. You know, because I think choosing the leaders yeah. is the most important step in all this. Oh, I think it is the most important step. And, you know, I feel like you lobbed me a softball, so I don't want to turn this into a uh, shameless, Take a plug, whack at it, pal. shameless yeah. <laughs> plug for my book. But, yeah. you know, my answer to that question when I get it is in the book, and, and it's a tool that I developed called LEAD, which is happens to be eight things, which are eight questions to ask of the leaders in your company. I'm not going to read through all of them, but they're, none of them have any science behind it. Right. And there's some great tools out there. Strengths Finder, Myers Briggs been around forever. I mean, there's disk, there's there's proven tools that have been around 30, 40, 50 years. But for me, it was, hey, after 25 years of working in all these different companies, lots of cool experiences, big Fortune 500, small privately held, everything in between. What were the things that great leaders did that I don't know? Maybe you learn them, but I think you just you kind of are that type of person, right? Create a culture high performers want to be a part of. That's not about being cool and going to the ball game and having a happy hour. Great if you do all that stuff. But, you know, creating a culture for high performers means you don't let underperformers show up every day and you don't avoid having those tough conversations. You know, bring energy and enthusiasm to work every day. One of the things I think you and I are very aligned on is I have never understood how the leaders in an organization are the least engaged people in the company, right? And you sit in the lobby and you're waiting for an interview and you see the leaders walk by and none of them have a smile on their face. They don't even say hi to you. Their dog must have died that morning because they've got a scrawl. And it's like, you don't need to do cartwheels. You don't have to be as high energy as you and I are. Yes, I like to ride a scooter around. Yes, I like to high five people. But are you able to get people excited about what's going on in the company? 
to me, that's bringing energy and enthusiasm. And you can't do that if you're not genuinely supporting the direction of the company, right? And and I tell people all the time, listen, it's okay as a leader if you don't support the direction of the company. It really is. It's okay as a leader if you don't like your CEO. It's okay if you think your board is disconnected to reality. It's just not okay to stay, right? You can't be a leader if you're not truly engaged in what your company's doing. So for me, it's some things that aren't, to use your words earlier, it's not overly complicated, Right. Do you bring energy and enthusiasm? Do you treat people with respect? Do you find out what you can do for them? Do you genuinely get excited about having somebody on your team who could take over for you tomorrow? Because great leaders love that. Not so great leaders are threatened by that, right? And, you know, a great leader understands my best chance for you moving from COO to president to CEO happened because you had somebody ready to take over that position for you. Mm -hmm. And I think a great leader understands things like that. So, For me, it's not like a very scientific answer. It's just being genuine and authentic. And, you know, your word is dick and my word is asshole. And it's just showing up in a way where people go home and say, you know what? I like my boss because not many people can say that. Yeah. You know, you touched on something that I, I'm having new epiphanies here. So I may have to write another second. Well, we got plenty more time to chat. so. So I'm beginning to think. The energy is just infectious. Oh, good energy and bad energy. They're both sure. infectious. Yeah. And, you know, we talk a lot about culture in my yeah. Vistage group. You know, yeah. culture is a big deal. And people want to know how to engineer it. Yeah. And I'm thinking it's not a contrived strategy. Right. It is a state right. of being. Right. You know, it's just purely positive, enthusiastic, right? Fun energy. Yeah. Well, and I love the way you put it, though, because energy is contagious. I'm not going to work positive and negative, right? Spending, you know, (laughs) eight hours a day with three or four or five people who, you know, have zero energy. It's pretty hard to be the one person that's, you know, always so positive. But, you know, if you've got that person that has that infectious, you know, enthusiasm and energy. Yeah. It's hard not to replicate that as well. So I like the way you said that, but so you talked about Vistage, you work with lots of different CEOs and and senior level business leaders from lots of different companies. Curious. You've been doing it for a while now. I know you're great at it. Is there really don't know that, but I appreciate it. I know people who are in your group who speak very highly of it. (laughs) And I've known you long enough to know you are because you have conversations like this, right? And, you know, you don't let people off the hook. You challenge them to think differently. But I am curious, 2023, we're talking about all these same things, employee engagement. Is there one thing that's pretty common across all of your business leaders that you work with that is their biggest disruptor to progress or speed bump, whatever you want to call it? Is is there one thing that just seems to come up in every meeting that you have or not really? If there's a disruptor, it's nothing that is really readily apparent to everybody, but it still might be there. Yeah. And I think disruption is not putting the work into making a good decision or putting it off and not making a decision at all. Yeah. Because when you're the leader, it's a series of decisions and decisions and decisions. So that's what I see. You know, we want yeah. people to get to the point where they're going to decide on a direction for something. 
Do I hire a new person here? Do I let a person go there? Do I start a new product line? Whatever that is. Right. And sometimes I think that the thing that hinders people the most is they don't reinvent quickly enough. Yeah. You know, Mm. and um, so I don't know. But other than that, there's, you know, there's a plethora of things. And the other Mm. thing is, I think some of the biggest disruptors are the things that are going on personally with people. Mm. You know, you can't leave the home at work and you can't leave work at the office. It's part of life. You yeah. know, we talk about work-life balance. And by the way, yeah. that's another chapter in my upcoming book. Yeah. Well, let's... Work-life balance is the wrong phrase. It's I... not work or life and life. It's one thing. It's life that yeah. work is just a subset of. Love it. And if you're not, you know, if your primary relationship is being strained, yeah, it's hard. And I know that it is for me. You know, if I know that, you know, Gail and I aren't, didn't have the best morning or whatever. I carry yeah. that with me, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, thankfully, I think... she's pretty tolerant, though, and patient. <laughs> she's put up with you for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so have your kids. And I think that, you know, that, that is a whole nother topic. I think this work-life balance thing, even in our careers, has absolutely changed and evolved. Technology has changed that. You're right. I mean, you're never really not available, right? I mean, you can disconnect, you can shut the phone off, but, you know, we live in a world where, you know, I like to talk about you know, having the attitude that it's about being where you need to be at the time, right? If your daughter has a band concert at two o'clock on a Tuesday, I hope that's where you need to be. If you're a senior leader and you have a board of directors meeting that afternoon, I hope you're in your office getting ready for it, right? And every day there's 15 different being where you need to be at the time things, which I think, you know, makes it challenging, as you said. So, Mm -hmm. so listen, as we wrap up episode one, and then we're going to come back for episode oh, are, two. Have we started this already? What the hell? <laughs> we have, if okay. you believe it. But <laughs> let's end episode one with, I love to ask, ask this question. You know, my daughter's about a year into her career. If she had called you a year ago, hey, Holly, I just graduated from college. My dad told me to call you because he said you're the smartest guy he knows. What advice would you give somebody like my daughter who's just starting their career that you wish somebody had given you? Oh, this is going to challenge some people's way of thinking because we all have heard about and striven for the dream job. Yeah. My advice is never consider any job you haven't worked yet a dream job. Hmm. On paper, it might look great, but you won't know it's a dream job until you've been at it for a year. So pretty hmm. much take something that seems like it might be reasonably close. Don't put the pressure on yourself to try to find the perfect thing. Get in there, work it, try to make it the best thing possible. Yeah. And then you'll know it's the dream job or it's the thing to to just go look for another thing. Don't put the kind of pressure on yourself to try to make it that good. I love it. Perfect way to wrap up episode one. Thanks everyone for listening to my conversation with Howie. I hope you'll join us for episode two in a couple of weeks. But uh, with that, Howie, thanks for joining and helping me kick off rule number three. And I look forward to uh, keeping our conversation going next time. Always, man. Always. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you.